life in sense. With Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette. Hello, welcome to Life in Sense. Matthew Beaumont is an academic and co-director of UCL's Urban Lab. In the next half hour, Matthew takes us on a walk through the city, talking to us about some smells that are important to him, and in doing so, helping us to maybe reconsider how we experience the spaces in which we live. And Odette has brought some perfumes with her, and through an appreciation of these, we will think about the literary figure of the flaneur as he aimlessly saunters through the metropolis. But first, we're going to look at the city from the point of view of somebody gradually returning to health. The convalescent in an urban setting is an idea Matthew has explored in some detail, and it's the ideal starting point to help us step back and consider how we might acutely reconsider our environment from a sensory perspective. she is someone who, because they're overcoming an illness and are re-socialising themselves, are particularly open to, particularly alive to the, the experiences around them. When one's ill, one becomes one's secluded and in a sense one, one shuts down one's senses. And when one emerges again and begins to be well again, one's pores open up, one's senses become active again, and that can give one a peculiarly acute, peculiarly sharp and sensitive apprehension of the environment, whether it's a rural environment or an urban environment, but I'm more interested in it in an urban environment. There's a residual feverishness to one's relation to the world, to one's, you know, to one's body, but also this hypersensitivity. So there's a sense in which the, the convalescent city is is a city that's spontaneously made new. And that, that's both a, a comfortable and, a, and an uncomfortable experience. I mean, not often, you know, if one's been ill, even, you know, fairly minor illness, and one goes out into the streets, everything's too much. It's still jagged and painful and intrusive, the city, and the sound of the traffic and the smells, everything is, is, is too much. And I'm interested in that, the excessiveness of the city, you know, the way in which... As a result of convalescing, we become de-anesthetised to our experiences and, and it opens up all our senses again, including smell. We've been doing this for a long time now and mm. quite a lot of the people we interview are quite London-centric, partly because of the type of jobs they do as well as because we're in London, which is where we're doing this. There's some themes which come up when we talk about smells in the city, be they smells about moving to London or smells associated with living here. But before I do that, from a personal point of view, are there any 
smells that you associate with your relationship with this city? When I think of the city and smells, I suppose I think of summer rather than winter and and all those almost bad smells that start to emerge in the heat, which is not that often after all. But London gets much more interesting from a smell point of view in the summer, particularly when it's absolutely baking if there's a heat wave and you get that combination of... Well, it's, it's the, you know, the smell of rubbish apart from anything. But it, it makes you realise how sanitised London is as a city in terms of smells most of the time. You know, other cities, particularly, I suppose, in developing countries where there's a less efficient system of sanitation and there's more poverty on display, at least, more, it's more intrusive, you're aware of a culture of smells that you're not really aware of except when it gets really hot in London... You know, there's a smell. There's a smell of refuse and the smell of sewage, which needn't be disgusting or, or, or needn't, you know, have its peels. And then there's the the culture of street food and the smells associated with that, which are much more obvious in a, in in other places than in London. That's one of my regrets, actually, about London. Or regrets, but I think it's a real pity that you don't smell food more often. And if you do smell food on the streets of London, it tends to tends to not be very nice food. It tends to be institutional food it's because you've walked past the flume of a hospital or or a hotel or something like that and what we don't have in london is a street is a street food scene really nor a scene where no doubt partly because of the climate again doors of restaurants are open and there's a great kind of perfusion of competing smells of competing kinds of cooking you know we're not aware of cooking in london on the street in the way that we are in so many cities you know restaurants do their cooking out of the way concealed from the from the from the street and they all have these very efficient systems no doubt they have to and they need to for getting rid of the smells i think that's a real real pity i think given how exciting being in london can be in lots of ways I and mean, how stimulating and how many different forces and stimuli compete with one another for your attention it's a it's a pity that often smells a marginal to that whole experience the things about london which come up again and again and again and again the one which we've had i would say in three quarters of interviews rain in london which weirdly it brings together everything you've been talking about because when rain falls and hits hot london summer's day it hits the ground and it has this two things are going on at once on one level it brings up the smell of all this dirt and pollution and stuff which is stuck to the hot ground but at the same time it has this therapeutic sense of washing away this grime and that's something that I feel that Londoners can really relate to that moment when it rains in the summer I think that's very eloquently put that's absolutely the dynamic and, and I recognise it it's, it's also it redeems the rain as well, which for Londoners is is a good thing. It's got to be a good thing. You know, we're used to rain and to thinking of it as an impediment on the whole. And when it comes in the summer after a really hot period, and when, as you say, it it both releases the dust in these really rather beautiful ways and the smells into the atmosphere, but also cleanses the atmosphere of it, it, it suddenly acquires this this redemptive role it suddenly seems like a like a great thing like a beautiful thing 
the rain. Flaneur, literally meaning stroller, is an invention of the post-romantic period, I suppose, or it's a form of urban romanticism. And it really is rooted in Baudelaire and the way in which he wrote about and related to the city, to Paris in particular. Really, the flaneur is a kind of archetype, I suppose, for the artist in the modern city. By implication... If not explicitly, the flaneur is someone who, I suppose, can afford to inhabit the streets and to take the streets as his, and it is much more often than not a male figure, to take the streets as the material for his work and for his life, to exist on the edge of the crowd, to stroll through the streets and to negotiate the city and explore its dynamics and its aesthetics. The flaneur is is an archetype for modernity because of the way in which he appears to distill or to dramatise the relationship of the individual, a more or less alienated individual, to the accelerated, stimulating environment of, of the metropolitan city. about flaneurs and fragrance specifically and this idea of what you wear to be on your own while strolling through the city and why you would wear a fragrance to do that because often we wear fragrance either for ourselves because we love it or because we're wearing it for other people but I wondered whether there's something in we wearing a perfume for the city and for communicating with the city so one of the things I brought is what I would associate with the traditional or the, the notion of the flaneur as, as a, I suppose, belle époque sort of creation, and that's Jicky, which is a Guerlain fragrance, and this was one of the first ever to use synthetic ingredients. And Guerlain would have been incredibly popular with wealthy Parisians and French right through the 19th century. They did lots of colognes and that sort of thing. And then they started moving into what we would now think of as modern perfumery. Jiki is strange because it's inconspicuous on the one hand, but then on the other, there's something in it that's slightly punchy. And you'll get that when you smell it. So best that you try it. it. Okay. Do you fancy a spray? Yeah. <laughs> what? yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm, I like it, actually quite a distinct foretaste as well as aftertaste I think and as soon as you've got the aftertaste it's quite difficult to recall conjure up again the the foretaste and it wasn't just the foretaste there was something else I mean there was there was quite a subtle transition actually from its initial kick which was partly just an alcoholic kick through the kind of sweet and, and sour to something that I 
haven't got the vocabulary to describe. I mean, that's the trouble, isn't it, with scent? I mean, it's obvious, completely obvious point is that we've got an utterly impoverished vocabulary for smells. And I think more than, more than any of the other senses, we're forced to resort to conventions and cliches and stereotypes which simply can't do justice to the subtlety of the smells. I mean, even really crude smells have a subtlety and a, and, and a kind of composition that it's almost impossible to, to represent verbally. I think it smells a bit like Earl Grey tea at the beginning, but maybe a bit of nappies. Mm. Absolutely. That's so right. Yeah. I was, I was trying... There's a, there's a kind of closeness to it, which I found slightly repulsive, actually. I, I was trying to work out what it was, and nappies is absolutely right. It is slightly like having your nose shoved up against you know, a, a, a baby's nappy. And, and this, it's it's not disgusting. I mean, baby shit's so much less disgusting than adult shit. So it's not it's not an irredeemable smell, that nappy smell. You're absolutely right. That's, it's, it's that slightly cloying proximity, closeness. And, and, and I have to say, I do, yeah, it makes me feel slightly trapped. And then that's combined with this really quite sort of sophisticated scent I think so it's like being trapped in a very small space with a with a flaneur who's been <laughs> who's been walking around for a hell of a long time and probably needs a good bath point of view going abroad or leaving London is like being a convalescent or London is your pre-convalescent state and then you go and you're recovering yeah I think I think that's right I think any change of environment automatically spontaneously involves an, a sort of reorganization of the senses um, and smell is, is part of that so it sort of retools one sense of, of smell I mean you know Anyone who's got off an aeroplane will recognise that cities or that countries have a, you know, a completely different smell and that it's instantly apprehendable, even if it's very hard to describe. And it's partly to do with climate, it's partly to do with relative heat or cold. It's one of the most exciting things, I think, about arriving in another country, is that sudden smack of scent which one gets when one steps out onto the tarmac. And it's partly the tarmac... And no doubt the tarmac's, you know, uniform or almost uniform, but it's what's overlaid on the tarmac. It's, it's, the, it's the smells of the city that seem to be just there waiting for you and that, and that plunge you immediately into another culture that are kind of instantly immersive. And one forgets when one's in London that one is immersed in, and that these smells, in, the, in, a, in a sort of sense, sensuous sense, um, and that smells are part of that one experiences the process of being immersed, which is very exciting.
I was trying to think, what would the, what's the, who's the flaneur of today? And I started thinking, actually, maybe it's young guys. If we're thinking about who owns the streets and who spends time outdoors wandering the city, are we in the realm of top man? So try oh that one. God, do I have to? It might give me a rash. <laughs> I'm going to get terrible eczema. You'll be fine. Whoa. Having never been that interested in you know, sense per se and aftershave. I'm now rapidly becoming a snob <laughs> because this is really disgusting. Yeah. I I mean obviously the fact that you it is from Top Man, is it? Yes, it's from Top Man and um one of the big uh, main components of it is an amber and amber you get so much in both male and female fragrances now these synthetic ambers that have like a sort of grey like it is a grey bottle but it feels grey it, it's pavements and it's it's in a city and you get this I think they use it a lot in department store fragrance halls this piercing quite adrenaline fueling sort of smell it's not relaxing and it's incredibly pervasive I mean it sort of lasts and lasts and lasts and obviously this is about getting value and spritzing it on and you're kind of no girl is not going to know you're around. But actually this, I don't know, this smells to me of the streets a bit and of young guys hanging around on a corner. Yeah, there's that um, special song, isn't there, about the, the man the man in grey, the uh, man from the CNA, and, um, and, and that grey scent is, is precisely the kind of, I mean, notwithstanding the 80s, point of reference that's the scent that he would use the man from the cna the man in gray it reminds me of being half-heartedly reluctantly in the changing area of a of a top man or some other relatively you know cheap man's clothing store i find it faintly depressing i have to say it's a combination of acidic and sort of slightly kind of it's a sort of plump. It's, a slight, it's, a, it's sort of been plumped out. The the smell. It's it's been. It's something that it's 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 sort of a, a streak of acidic, slightly pissy <laughs> scent that has that's been sort of puffed up and plumped out and and made to seem more colourful and and vibrant and, and appealing than it actually is. I think. I tend to become aware of smells if I'm walking through the city when I encounter particular people or smells not something that you that, that I, I particularly look for and then I'll suddenly get hit by a smell and it might be from a particular place it's more likely I think to be from a from a person so one has this encounter that isn't an encounter when you pass someone or someone passes you and you suddenly get you suddenly inhale something and it contributes in really quite significant ways to the kind of stories you invent about those people so one walks in and out of pockets of smell i think and that's one's a sort of smell smell tourist in that respect and that's quite exciting i mean one of my favorite london smells 
I have to say, is is a smell of weed. And I don't really notice cigarette smoke. Even if I passed a huddle, pass a huddle of people in an office doorway who are smoking, somehow it's it's an almost neutral smell. Smoking in any way, it's sanitised and sequestered in our culture now. But weed is different. It's a much stronger, much more potent, much more exciting, exotic, attractive smell. And I find it quite thrilling actually passing someone who is smoking on the smoking weed on the street. It's a kind of because it's suddenly it's like a you know it's it's the kind of decriminalized city that I'd like to see. There's a, a sort of nostalgic but also slightly utopian longing for me in encountering some you know the smell of someone who's smoking weed just relaxedly, happily, not in fear of being arrested on on the streets of London. What do you make of these scratch and sniff cards that the police are releasing with the smell of weed on, so people can be aware in their community? Oh my God, I'm. I think of myself as relatively unshockable in terms of you know the intrusiveness of surveillance and the, the ways in which we're co-opted to to sneak on and grass up our city city dwellers uh, but that really stuns me and i you know i'm from the scratch and sniff generation or i like to think of myself as from the scratch and sniff generation you know growing up in the 70s scratch and sniff was was you know an important part of of my childhood so i'm really scandalized that the police are using these methods I'm wondering if there are any other smells that we come across where we're consciously thinking, what's the source and where's it coming from? I wonder whether there are other other smells which... I mean, I completely recognise what you're saying, that, that make us want to, to locate. I think maybe the river. If you're not aware of a space or a part of London that you don't know, you know the river's around. Mm-hmm. And you can locate that with your nose, and that's a kind of a quite exciting journey because it's got an end point that you're familiar with, even though you're not familiar with it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The river does have a really distinctive flavour. When one smells the river, there's a texture associated with it, a really strong texture, I think. And there's a, even if it's a dead still day, there's a, there's a sense of flow, I think, but, you know, no doubt for, for, for associative reasons. And there's a, so there's a sort of breeze a breeziness about about the river, um, as well as a kind of heaviness, I think. Which, and you're right, it, it's like um, it's like mole in the wind in the willows, sort of emerging after hibernation, and um, and and sniffing sniffing the air and smelling the river again. Okay, admittedly, that's in a rural context rather than known one, but but I think I feel a bit like mole when I suddenly, when I'm walking near enough to the river, to the Thames, say, in London, to to suddenly get a whiff of a whiff of it. It's got inside you before you've had a chance, and 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 there's a kind of pull. It pulls you towards it, just like mole is pulled towards the river in the wind in the willows.
my assumption is, and it may may be a false assumption. It may be based on a on an illusion, really, or whatever the smell equivalent of an illusion is. It's a preconception, in any case, is that at night there's a kind of clarity, there's a sharpness to smells which one doesn't get in the day. That when the heat leaves the city, the streets, smells kind of fall into place in a funny way. That they're easier to separate out. That the palate becomes a bit clearer and that and that there's a kind of even in the heat of summer there's a kind of there's a freshness to the smells that there isn't in the day there's also a lack of visual stimulation and sound so again that kind of brings it to the forefront that's a very good point actually yeah you're absolutely right i think yeah the shutting down of of other senses partially and particularly sight means that one's more aware i think that's a really good point there's just less matter interfering between oneself and, and the atmosphere, oneself and the smells. You know, that if there are less bodies around, then one's more, one feels more conscious of the smells of the city. I don't know whether that is an illusion or not, but it's like the difference between being in a, a curtained and an uncurtained room, if you like. Um, all that fabric, people's bodies, clothing, etc., seems to soak up smells, absorb smells just as it absorbs sounds in the day and at night there's less absorptive stuff around I think, which does make it a slightly different experience in terms of smell been listening to Matthew Beaumont's Life in Sense. What does smell make you feel about your city? Let us know, at Life in Sense on Twitter. Thank you to Owen Bowett for the original music he made for this programme. Definitely look him up. And thank you for continuing to listen. See you next time. Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette.